Today's text is found on page 52 in the Bibles in the chair in front of you. Um, nine, oh, not, thank you, 952. It's 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 to 17, page 952. Paul speaking, Paul writing. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, JP, for reading that. And yes, I encourage you to have a copy of God's Word open to that text. We're struggling with page numbers the last couple of weeks on that. Um, it's kind of funny. 952 is the, the page number there. So, um, yes, um, looking forward to continuing this, uh, this uh, text uh, together as we go through the series. We have a lot to cover today, so I'm going to kind of just jump right in. Let me show you a picture. All right. So, this is a picture of, uh, you find this in downtown Detroit, okay, I've been here a number of times, many of times. Um, right across the street you have uh, two stores, you have American Coney Island and you have Lafayette Coney Island, okay, two different stores that sell Coney dogs. If, if you're from Detroit, you know that the Coney dog is... So good, okay? It is, and it's different, you know, some other people, other places of the world, they'll try to do it, it's just, it's just not the same. I mean, there's certain things about it, just, I won't get into all of it, but it just, it's just so good, okay? The story goes that uh, a guy named uh, Gus Kyrgios, he opened American uh, Coney Island in 1917. It's been there since 1917, okay? So it's been there a long time. I've eaten there a number of times. A few years later, he brought his brother William. They were both immigrants from Greece, and so he brought his brother William, younger brother William, over to help with the business of American Coney Island. There was a dispute at some point between the brothers. There's mystery has, surra- has, has surrounded what this was over. Uh, one of the best scenarios that I've heard is that there was a disagreement when William came on. He said hey, I think we need to adjust the chili recipe a little bit here. And Gust would have none of that. 
And so there's a dispute over the recipe of the chili. Now, that's one theory. Another theory is that there are some business things, but I, I like the chili uh, uh, theory myself. And so what did William do? William went next door and started Lafayette, Coney Island, okay, with his, with his recipe and his, his ideas. Okay, thank you. That's good. All right, Mike. There we go. So, so, um, so he goes next door, and he uh, starts his own uh, business, and they've been there ever since. Uh, and if you're from Detroit, you choose. You, are you Lafayette or are you American? Okay? And you can only choose one. And I've had both, okay, multiple times. Um, I'm Team American, okay? American is, is better. So if you go to Detroit, now you say, why do you call it Lafayette? Because that's, that's Lafayette Street right there. Uh, that's the West Lafayette Street in Detroit. So that's where you'll find these. You go with these. And um, there's these two options there, and you have to choose one. I'm Team American. Now, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because last week, we looked at Paul and his gratefulness for the Corinthians. It was based that he saw uh, God's grace in their life and he noted God's faithfulness. Okay, so this is what he was so incredibly grateful for the Corinthians. But yet, like the Curios family here, there is division in the Corinthian church. And the text that we deal with right now is dealing with the division in the church. And so that's what we're going to look for. Before I continue on explaining this text, though, in more detail, let me just pause. Let me just ask God to enable the teaching time and uh, give him glory. Father, Lord, we do want you to receive all glory and honor, um, and we need your spirit to guide us. Lord, as I have the wonderful opportunity and the privilege to stand here, open a word, your word, and, um, and talk about it, Lord, it's a wonderful privilege, but it's something that we need to take very seriously. And so I pray that everything I say would be faithful to the text of Scripture. I pray that nothing I say would be outside of the intention of what you had for us uh, through the writings of Paul here. And all of us who are listening, please remove distractions from us. And may we honor you and may looking at this text be very helpful to us as a church and us as individuals. Fortune in Christ, name we do pray. Amen. So what Paul does here is he begins to deal with the divisions in the church. And in many ways, that's a lot of what this entire letter is about. You remember we talked about how we're parachuting into a conversation that's already been going on. This is not the first letter that Paul's written. It's the first one we have. It's the first of the two that we have record of. But we know from chapter 5 that he's written at least another letter before. And we know that there's conversations that are, that are happening that they've written to him. And so there's this conversation that's going on back and forth between and one of the things that he's dealing with, he's dealing with some of the divisions that are in church. And in much of what we're going to talk about right now is how he frames and how he starts what he's the, the principles that he's going to unpack over the rest of the book here. Okay, so this is this is kind of an introductory, kind of almost like he's saying, here's what I'm going to do, and then he's going to go and do it there. Um, so if you picked up an outline, there's three points today's uh, sermon. Uh, the first one is this, is that if we're going to deal with division in the church, we must first, according to Paul, tenaciously pursue unity. Okay, you say, well, that's kind of obvious. Well, yeah, but it's got to be something that is something that is incredibly important and of a priority to us. I mean, you consider Paul's uh, choice of words here, 
um, when you look at the text here, he says, I, give, or for, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's this idea of appeal is like a strongly urging. And you know, put it in context, like if Paul were to write this letter today and send it to us you know, by, by email or something like that, if he sent this to us, what he's saying here would be bold and underlined right here. Okay, he's saying this is important. He's like, I appeal to you. I'm urging you. He says that you agree and there be no divisions among you. So this is very important to Paul. But then he says, by the name of Jesus, this comes from authority greater than Paul's is what he's saying. He's saying it is by the name of Jesus that I am telling you that this has to be a priority in the church. You have to pursue unity. You have to put aside division. You have to be a unified church there in Corinth. And so he is very, very uh, uh, clear that we should tenaciously pursue unity. In other writings by Paul, he, he says this in Romans chapter 12, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So as far as about live peaceably, this is, this is the theme in Paul's writings. In Philippians, he says this in Philippians chapter 2. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. How? By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So for Paul, this is something that is very important. In all of his writings, he's always pushing us towards unity. He's pushing us towards commonality. And even the words that he's going to use throughout the rest of this letter, a fellowship, um, a partnership, uh, all of these things is this idea of this has to be a priority in the church. It is crucial that the church be unified. Um, that doesn't mean that we have to be unanimous on everything. We're going to see that. But it has to mean that we're, we have unity. So unity was clearly important to Paul. And so that's why we tenaciously pursue it. But it, wasn't not, it was not only uh, important to Paul, but we see that it was obviously important to Chloe and her people as well. Because we, we see her mentioned here in verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Now, the question comes up is, who's Chloe? All right? And doesn't she know that snitches get stitches? <laughs> you know? So what is this about here? Um, what, what, what's going on here? What, the answer is we don't really know anything about Chloe. We, we, we don't. We, we know nothing about her. This is the only time she's mentioned. Uh, what we can piece together is, and we can hazard a guess, is that she was either a widow, and this is her family that is being mentioned here, um, and the reason for that is because if it was a household, they probably would have mentioned the male's name, but if the male had died, then they would mention the female's name. So that's kind of where that theory comes from. Or that she was a businesswoman, and this is all the people that helped her with her business world, and, and that she was a traveling businesswoman, and the people that worked for her were traveling. They, they went through Corinth, and they knew Paul, and they saw the church there, and they were like, wait a minute here, there's a lot of division here. And so then they talked to Paul about it. We don't know um, exactly who it is. And that's not really not the main point. The main point is that when they saw divisions in the church, it was a big enough deal to them to tell Paul about it 
as saying, this is not good. This is not right. And so this, is, has, this unity has to be something that is constantly on our radar in our priority list as a church here. And so that's why we say tenaciously pursue unity here. Now, what is meant, though, when it says here that you be of the same mind and same judgment? What's going on here? In fact, we saw in Philippians 2, he used a similar expression of being of the same mind. Really, what this is, is this is actually a common phrase of the day that was in reference typically of politics, okay? Political parties. Basically, it was saying, you have to say the same thing. You can't be part, you can't have a political party that has confusing messaging. You can't have people of the same party saying one thing and another saying a different thing that are opposed to it. We've seen this play out even in our own politics. We've seen a political party move more than just one, but we've seen political parties move over time, and the old guard are constantly being told to readjust their messaging and what they talk about to fit with the new political party position and platform. We see this all the time. Both sides of the aisle, we see it all the time. Here is this, this is what this phrase is talking about here. And Paul's using that because the Corinthians would have understood that. They would have understood particularly, if you remember, that what was very prized in the Corinthian environment was learning and rhetoric skill and teaching and oratory wisdom and things like that. And so he's saying, you guys have to get on the same page here. You have to have the same messaging, if you will. You have to say the same thing about Christ. You have to say the same thing about what it means to follow Christ. You have to say the same things about the gospel and what, that imp- and what those implications are for your life here. And so what is in mind here is not primarily doctrinal differences, but rather how they were serving Christ. Okay? It's, not, it's not mainly a theological issue that Paul is dealing with here because this is not, remember, this is not a letter that's being written to a group of people that is considering leaving Christ, okay? That would be like the letter of Galatians. Paul writes a letter like that, and he writes it to the Galatians, and he says, how is it that you're, so, you're, you're considering this? You cannot turn back. You cannot go away from Christ. You cannot embrace uh, 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 Judaism and, and, and forsake Christ. You cannot do this. That's the letter of Galatians. That's not the message of, of Corinthians here. He's talking to a group of Christians who he prizes, who he says have spiritual gifts like we've talked about, that are people who are, are he's amazed at how God's been patient, how God's gifted them. But yet how they're living out the gospel is the thing that's causing division in the church. And that's what he's dealing with here. And he's dealing with it. And he says, we have to, we have to really make sure that this is a priority here. He's, he's urging, in other words, by these two phrases, speak the same thing, same judgment. He's urging the Corinthians to have a Christ-like mindset. In other words, to, have, to, to first and foremost think as a Christian that is banded together by the gospel. So don't be going all over the place, he's saying. Think as a Christian first, as a Christ follower first. That's how you think before anything else, before starting to follow other people. Um, It's interesting. In Philemon 14, uh, there's only one 
chapter, if you will, in Philemon. So just verse 14 of Philemon, it's a very short little letter that Paul wrote uh, to Philemon. Uh, if you remember, the, the letter was about a runaway slave called Onesimus. Um, and Onesimus runs away, meets up Paul. Paul shares the gospel with him. He becomes converted. And so he's sending him back to Philemon. But he's saying, don't receive him back as a slave. Receive him back as a brother. Okay? He's saying, you need to see that the gospel has changed this person. And that needs to inform how you relate to him. That's the whole message of Philemon. So it's interesting that Paul uses the same word here about thinking the same way as in verse 14 of Philemon when he says, I, I, I'm not going to do this without your consent. That's the word that's translated there. I'm not going to do this without your consent. Because he's saying, you and I have to be agreed on this. He's telling Philemon that you and I have to be agreed on the fact that Onesimus is first and foremost a brother in Christ before any other type of relationship. So he's saying you have to see the world in every relationship through the lens of the Christ follower first before anything else. That's what he means here when he says same mind, same judgment here. That's what he's getting at here. So the question comes is why is this so important? Well, the whole point of the gospel is to bring Christians together in reconciliation, not for division. So it's, it's antithetical to the gospel message for there to be divisions in the church. Now, there'll be disagreements, sure, but not divisions. And there's a big difference between the two. So, and I put this on the screen. So while disagreements are to be expected in the church, divisions are not to be tolerated. We can have disagreements on a lot of different things in the church. That's the beauty of the church. We don't have to be agreed on every little thing. But the gospel says that we need to be united as a Christ follower first and foremost. And so we, we see, and remember, the whole point of this is not mainly the, uh, uh, theological convictions, because there are things that we just absolutely have to be agreed on, be part of the church, but... There's a lot of things about how we live out the Christian life that we might be in disagreement about. You know, certain forms of entertainment. Some families have a certain list that is like, yes, we can do this and we can do this. And other families say, no, we're not going to do that. Who's right? Well, maybe both are. Okay. Um, some people say, you know, we're, we, we can, you know, we can listen to that. And other people say, no, we can't. Or, or, you know, there's a lot of things about the Christian life that we're just going to have to say, yeah, well, there's a disagreement. We, those things cannot cause division in the church. So these disagreements, they're going to come up later in chapters about eating certain foods. Okay. So some people in the Corinthian church, they were saying, you know what, we are going to eat food that was offered the idols because it's cheap, it's on sale, and we're going to save a bunch of money, and we know these idols are false, so it doesn't matter. Other people in the Corinthian church were saying, they were scandalized and saying, how dare you eat anything that was offered to an idol? You cannot do that. So the question is, who's right? Well, there's disagreement there. Uh, even issues over to the Lord's Supper. And there's going to be other issues that are going to come up in this, in this book that Paul's going to deal with about disagreements. But he says there can be disagreement, but there can't be division. Romans chapter 14 would be another text to look at. Romans 14 teaches that some people say this and some people say this. And again, I have to be clear 
This is not talking about the essence of the gospel. We're not talking about some people in the church can believe that Jesus is God and others in the church can believe Jesus is not God, and that's okay. No, those are things we have to be agreed on. Jesus is God. But how we live out the Christian life, there's a lot of disagreement sometimes. And how do we handle that as a church? According to Paul here, says it should not cause division. Disagreement should, should prompt discussion. It should prompt a good interaction with one another. But it should never prompt division in the church. That's what he's getting at here. Um, so number one, tenaciously pursue unity. That's what he's getting at here. Number two in the text, how is he dealing with division in the church? He says, first of all, pursuing unity has to be on the forefront of your mind. You have to have that. Secondly, he says, always keep your eyes on Christ. Always keep your eyes on Christ. And he gets at the heart of this here, okay? So uh, here uh, we see, where is it at? Uh, in verse 11, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, there's, there's quarreling among you. There's, you know, siblings are getting wrong. And by the way, when it says my brothers, it's in all this text here, it's just a, a generic term for all those men and women who are in the church. He says, what I mean, verse 12, is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paul, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Okay? So here was the problem. All right? The problem was celebrity Christians. Okay? This is the problem in the church. And we have this problem today too, right? And so, but there are some celebrity Christians that were going on here. And, and it's interesting that none of these that he mentions, and much like many of the, the, the you know, popular pastors or whatever today, you know, many, not all, but many, they're not looking for celebrity. It's more of just how people treat them. Okay? And this was a problem. This was a problem. So apparently in the church... There was groups of people that were saying, you know, some people were saying, you know, I follow Paul, okay, because I want to be identified as Paul. Maybe this was because Paul was the founder of the church. Maybe, maybe they, maybe Paul was the person who introduced him to Christ. And so they said, you know, Paul's my guy. And, and it came more about following Paul than following Christ. Other people said, well, you know, Paul's a good guy and all, but he doesn't speak very well. Apollos, he's the guy we should be following. Apollos is the guy, because remember in, in uh, Acts chapter 18, we know we were introduced to Apollos at Corinth, and he was noted for his incredible rhetoric skill, great oratory abilities, and so, and again, in the context of Corinth, where that was highly prized, it's no wonder why a group of Christians in the church would have said, he's our guy. We need to follow Apollos. He's the guy. He's younger, most likely. He's far more skilled and talented. He's the guy. You know, Paul, good guy. You know, God bless him. Bless his heart, as they say in the South. But, you know, we're following Apollos, okay? Then there's a group of people that said, Paul's good. Apollos is great. But you know, Cephas, Cephas. Now, in case you don't know, Cephas is just the Aramaic version of Peter, okay? So it's Peter in Aramaic, okay? So, so we're talking about the apostle Peter here. So he says, you know, these people say, I follow Peter. Now, this is a little bit more mysterious because we don't really have any record of Peter being in Corinth. So it's like, well, where did this come from? I don't know. I mean, maybe it came from this idea of people saying, he's an original disciple. 
I mean, he was the one that Jesus really dealt with. And Jesus had some intimate conversations with. He was in the inner three. He was the one. And in fact, in fact, actually, you know, he knows what it's like. I mean, he, 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 he went back and forth and he, and he put his foot in his mouth so many times. And Jesus, I mean, he's one of us. He gets us, okay? So, so Peter's the guy we need to be following. So this was happening. We don't know all the reasons for it. Then there's this last one that's kind of interesting. You know, then people say, but I follow Christ. Well, well, isn't that the point? I mean, isn't that the whole main point, number two, always keep your eyes on Christ? You know, well, why would Paul put this in as part of the division? The best I can understand, and I've, I've done a lot of reading and just trying to figure it out, and there's different theories. You know, some people think Paul is being sarcastic and he's adding this one in at the end uh, himself. And he's like, but I follow Christ. You know, other people seeing this is more where I land on it. Again, it's, it's conjecture. Where I land on it, why this is included, is that this was probably the first, you know, record of the Jesus Duke. You know, I don't know if you know what a Jesus Duke is. Uh, Jesus Duke is like if someone's like talking and you just kind of throw in a super spiritual comment or something like that that just kind of shuts down the conversation. So it would be, be something like, you know, if someone were like, uh, man, I am just really, really hungry. And where, do, where, where should we get some lunch? We should live not by bread alone, but by every word of the Lord. <laughs> so while you're worried about Taco Bell or Poncheros, I'm going to be praying. Okay, good plan. Okay, um, you know, I mean, that, that's that Jesus Duke type thing. And so in, in, in here, in this context, my theory is, is that, you know, some people, you have the people, I'm Paul, I'm Paul, I'm of Cephas, and other people are like, I follow no man but Jesus. No, I mean, we should not look, we should not listen to any man but Jesus. You know, and it's like, well, oh, mm, uh, I, I get your point, but, you know, I mean, we do have pastors for a reason. We do have teachers, you know, that type of thing. I think that's what's happening here is like people maybe pridefully just saying, I listen to no man. So to be clear, Paul, Apollos, and Cephas did not seek to be celebrities here. Okay, that's not the point of this. But it was more of how people treated them that made it a problem in the church. So there's a problem. We have celebrity Christians, which we have today as well. Um, but what's the solution? Well, the solution is in the main point there is, is eyes on Christ. Eyes on Christ. So Paul has these rhetorical questions that he gives here. He says, is Christ divided? Oh, uh, he says, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says, you know, you know Christ isn't as d- divided up here. This isn't divisions in the church. And he says, and clearly, he says, I didn't, I wasn't put on a cross for you. No one was baptized into my name. This is all about Christ here. You, you know, don't you know, benefit from Cephas, benefit from Apollos, and, and, and benefit from my ministry, but, but it's Christ here that we need to have our eyes on. It's Christ that needs to have our focus and where we need to run every part of our thought and every of our action of what would Christ do here? What does Christ say about this? Who is Jesus here? That's the point that Paul is getting at, and that's the point here that we preach here, is it is all about Christ. So look to Christ Look to Christ. And so the point is obvious here is that we gather around Christ. And more importantly here, our identity is shaped by him and his teachings alone. Now, if other people are pointing us to Christ, then find benefit from those. And I pray that that's what my ministry is here and all of the elders here is, is that we're always pointing you to Christ. But it's never about Jeremy. It's always about Christ. 
It's always about trying to emulate Christ and Christ alone. So, as I preach and get ready to preach, one of the things I do is I think through a point that I'm trying to make, and then I think, how would people push back on that? So here's an anticipated rebuttal. Okay, Jeremy, if it's all about Christ and only looking to Christ, what about 1 Corinthians 11.1? 1? Do you remember what 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says? What does 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 say? About no, nothing about coney dogs. <laughs> Boy, wouldn't that be great? Now you're making me hungry, man. Okay, so no, what it says there, well, someone look it up. What does it say? 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Yeah. Who's saying that? Paul, he's saying, imitate me. Hmm. <laughs> Paul, did you remember what you wrote about in chapter 1 here? So how do we balance this? What's going on here? What, what's, what, what, what's, what, what's, what's, what, what are we saying? Is it wrong to follow someone's example? No, it's not wrong to follow someone's example, as Paul encourages in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And he also does it again in 1 Timothy chapter 4 when he tells Timothy to be an example of the believers. Okay? So it's not wrong to be an example. In fact, we're called to be examples of believers. It's not wrong, furthermore, to say, you know, I wonder how so-and-so would handle this situation. It's not wrong. In fact, it's wise. Could be wise, I should say. You know, it's like, you know, I wonder... I wonder how Rob would handle this situation. Or, you know, I, I wonder how, you know, Megan would handle the situation. Or I wonder how Anne Marie would handle the situation. And, and you know, there's, there's, there's nothing that's necessarily bad about that. Okay, so by saying I only follow Christ is not precluding these things. As long as the people that you're thinking about have a biblical worldview. Okay? So as long as I'm saying, I wonder how Rob would think about this, as long as Rob has a biblical worldview, then I'm in, I'm in safe waters. But if Rob doesn't have a biblical worldview, I'm in dangerous waters. Okay, so Paul says, imitate me, and then what does he say there? As I follow Christ. So the, 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 the qualification to follow Paul is as long as Paul is following Christ. Okay, he has a biblical worldview of what it means to be a Christ follower. We can emulate and we can do that. Now, some of you are thinking in a real practical level right now. You know, I can hear some of you thinking right now. Okay, that's fine about things that are obviously theological in nature. But is a biblical worldview required in order to learn from someone about how to set up a deer blind or how to launch a boat, a fishing boat? Okay, thanks for raising the question. I'd be happy to answer that one. Um, my dad had a small fishing boat when I was a kid. Um, it was this aluminum boat, a 14-foot little light thing, and uh, we would take it out on Lake St. Clair, and we'd go fishing. I remember my dad, when he got the boat, I remember him teaching us, you know, all the things about it. You know, how to launch a boat is important because, you know, a boat that stays on the trailer isn't that useful, okay? So you eventually got to Launch it out there, and there's, there's some skill in that. So if you know anything about that, in particular a very light boat like that is, but all boats, is that when you're transporting it, uh, you strap it down to the trailer, okay? Because particularly a, such a light boat going down the road, bouncing around, you don't strap it to the trailer, you're going to be pulling two trailers eventually, okay? Because uh, that thing's going to fly off, and it's going to be a problem. So you've got to strap it down. If you don't remember to remove the straps when you're launching it into the water, problems happen, okay? 
boats often, the, the, like a small fishing boat like that, they also have drain plugs, okay? So the water will get in there a little bit. And so when you take it out and you pull the drain plug, and as you drive down the road, water comes out and you're good to go. It's really important to remember to put the drain plug in when you're launching the boat, okay? That's an important thing. It's an important step, okay? So these are things my dad taught me. Okay, when you're launching a boat, make sure you do this. And there was other things there. So surely you would say a biblical worldview is not required to teach you to remember to take the straps off when the boat goes in the water and remember the plug is in. A biblical worldview is not required for that. Fair point. You're right on that. But you know what a biblical worldview is required for in that scenario? When is it appropriate to launch the boat? And how do we respond when it doesn't go well? When is it appropriate? How many times have people prioritized fishing or a hobby above their family? And they're always gone, and they never see their family because they're out on the lake. You see, a dad with a biblical worldview is not just about teaching how to launch a boat. It's talking about when to launch it. Or when it doesn't go well, what words are acceptable and unacceptable to mutter and utter in those situations? <laughs> you see, that's where the biblical worldview comes in. That's why it's so important when we say, I'm going to follow this person, and this person's going to be the example. It's more than just about the action. It's about how we emulate the life in that, making those decisions. And so it's not wrong to say, I wonder how so-and-so would deal with this situation as long as they're following Christ as long as they're following Christ. Our eyes have to be, as our church, it must always be on Christ and Christ alone. You know, um, it was, it was uh, yesterday. Yesterday was February 17th. So it was February 17th, 2013, that I preached my first sermon as pastor of, of Memorial Baptist Church. And I look back on that date, and I'm just so grateful so grateful for the Lord allowing me to be here. And I, I'm just, uh, I just love being here. No, you know, no intentions of making any changes or anything. Just love it. But here's the thing I know. I'm not going to be the pastor forever. I mean, there will be time. And this is no announcement, by the way. So, Brad, you're stuck with me. Um, um, if you don't remember last week, Brad was teasing me a bit. But the point is, is... there's going to be a time where I'm not the pastor here anymore. And that's okay because this isn't about a pastor. This is about Christ here. And I'm number 37, I think, on the list of pastors. And my prayer is that one day, hopefully many, many years down the road, there's another 37 names afterwards. And I look at those names on the list and I'm like, I don't know anything about this person, but I'm glad that he served here as a pastor for these four years or these 10 years or six years or however long they were here. And I know there's going to be a day where someone's going to see the name Jeremy Scott and they're going to be like, I don't know anything about that guy. I'm glad he was a pastor here. Because it's not about making a reputation for oneself. It's about pointing people to Christ. It's about you and I living a life for Christ and our eyes on him and him alone. And letting him shape our worldview, letting him shape our thoughts, our actions, our habits, all that. That's what this is about here. Can you see why divisions in the church are so deadly then? Because our eyes just go off of Christ and not to everyone else and other things, and it's incredibly unhelpful. 
So our identity, our hope, and our marching orders cannot come from anyone else except Jesus Christ. There are a lot of celebrity Christians even today. You know, some people might say, I'm of Piper, or I'm of MacArthur, or I am of, you know, pick a famous theologian or something like that. You know, like Paul's examples, most of these are not trying to distract others from Jesus. But in our appreciation for these messengers, we can lose sight of the one who we should be following. We can never allow that to happen. In fact, Luther, uh, he found out that people started calling, you know, during the Reformation. Luther, you know, God used him to spark a uh, a Reformation. And uh, Martin Luther, he heard that people were being called uh, Lutherans and that were following his teachings. And here's what he said in response to that, as only Luther would say. What is Luther? The teaching is not mine. How did I, poor, stinking bag of maggots that I am, come to the point where people call to the children, call the children of Christ by my evil name? Tell us, Martin, what do you really think? Okay. Um, you know, he, he's very strong, but he's like, why are you calling yourself Lutherans? This is not about me. This is about Christ. May that be true of us. It's always about Christ. As we're trying to figure out how to apply this, I was thinking even worse, the reality than like celebrity Christians, here's a sobering reality that I believe to be true. The reality is that the church today is far more influenced by YouTube, TikTok, and the media in general than it is by Jesus Christ. People have a favorite, favorite YouTube channel or a favorite TikTok thing or something, or you know, personality, and that's what shapes their view their worldview more than Jesus Christ. My friends, it ought not so be. You see, there's, there's great people on YouTube. There's also a lot of knuckleheads, but there's, there's you know, great people on YouTube and TikTok and all that. I suppose TikTok, I don't have TikTok, but I mean, there's, there's all these things where you can find some great information as long as they are pointing you to Christ and Christ's worldview, Okay? That's the key. That's the key. Are they pointing you to think? Are they encouraging you to think more like Christ? And are they thinking you, are they encouraging you to think more in terms of someone whose life is being shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's the litmus test here. So everything we watch, everything we listen to, everything we read must be funneled through this Christ filter. You know, what would he say about this? What does his word teach regarding this point? And so there's much more that can be said, but I need to move on. The last thing is, as we look at this text here, um, how, do we pers- how, do we, how do we respond to divisions as we tenaciously pursue unity, we keep our eyes on Christ, and then number three, Paul, he talks about doggedly staying on mission here. He says this in, in, um, in uh, verse 17, he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. He says, the reason why Christ sent me was to preach the gospel. And what he's bringing up here is a very important point, is that it's not always sinful things which distract us from the mission. It's not always sinful things. And sometimes it's very, very good things. So for example, Paul brings up baptism in discussing his mission here. Now, side note, is I love the way he does this. I love this part when he says, he says like, so no one may say, I've only baptized you know, Crispus and Gaius. And then there's verse 16, there's this parenthesis. Oh, well, yeah, I did baptize the household of Stephanus. 
And beyond that, I can't remember. You know, and, and, you know, was he writing this? And then he's like, oh, yeah, that's right, I did. Ugh. Yeah, I, by the way, I did that. Or was, was he using an amanuensis, uh, a secretary to write this, which a lot of people think Sosthenes uh, might have been that. And then, you know, he's writing, he's like, okay, write this down, Sosthenes. He's like, I'm grateful I only did this and this. And he's like, oh, Paul, remember Stephanus? Oh, yeah, 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 I baptized him too. Okay, you know, you know there might be that. Or even better, it would be better if, <laughs> it'd be better if Stephanus was the guy writing this down. That would be even better. Uh, you, you baptized me too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But he's just like, yeah, okay. You know, so he's a little fuzzy on all this stuff. But just this is a side note here. This is highly instructive to us on the inspiration of the Word of God and how the Holy Spirit gave us the Word of God, okay? This is a side note. This is free, and it'll be really fast, okay? Here's the thing is, is that um, this was obviously, the Holy Spirit obviously did not dictate the Scriptures to these people and so that we had the Scriptures, if he did, there wouldn't be this, okay? It would be just do, 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 do. You know, this is obviously Paul. He's just kind of remembering some things, and he's writing it down. So what it is is that the Holy Spirit uses the author's unique personalities, their giftedness, their word choices, and even syntax to breathe out, this is 2 Timothy, breathe out or inspire the scriptures for us. So we just get a little glimpse here, and this is, again, total separate, a little excursus. This is how the Holy Spirit gave us the word of God using their own personalities, using their own interests, using their own word choices. It's just a beautiful thing for me to see. To see. Just wanted to point that out. But So back to baptism here for a second. He says that Paul's mission is to preach the gospel, not anything else, okay? He says that the gospel preached is God's primary appointed means for conversion. That's the reason why. So when you read this here, you could think, well, is Paul saying that baptism is not important? And then, and then the first thing I thought, there was a passage that popped in my mind, you know, when I read this, again, when he says, Christ did not send me to baptize. There was a passage that popped in my mind, and it was Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, when it says, go there from all the world, uh, oh, no, it says, um, uh, I've given you authority among all men, um, oh, go and preach the gospel. What is it? Matthew 28, 19? No, man. What is it? So, man brain freeze. All right. I feel like Paul not knowing who I baptized. Okay. All right. All authority in heaven This is, is given. Is, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And what does he say in verse 19? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. That was the first passage that popped in my mind. Think, well, how do you reconcile this? Paul is not saying that baptism is unimportant. What he is saying is that it's not the means of conversion. Okay. He says the means of conversion is the preaching of the word of God. That's Romans chapter 10. He says, my first mission is to bring the converting message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. And so I'm going to preach. Now, baptism is important. It's a result of someone who's converted, but it's not the means of conversion. So really, we get a lot of interesting things in a backhanded way about what baptism is and what baptism is not right here in this passage here. So, we see here that baptism doesn't save us. Furthermore, Paul preached that the gospel is not with eloquent wisdom. The Corinthians would have understood this to be the rhetorical skills of their, cultural, of their culture. In other words, what Paul is saying here is he's not interested in checkmating people into believing in God, for he knew that that's not how people are converted. It's a spiritual conversion, not merely an intellectual one. 
And this next section that we're going to get into next week, he's going to unpack that reality even more. So the point is this. Paul says, i got to stay on mission. If we stay on mission, then there's no time for division. If we stay on mission, there's no time for getting upset with one another here. So doggedly staying on mission makes division difficult to flourish in the church, is what Paul is saying here. When we're all agreed on sharing Christ with others and living out the gospel, we have very little time for division. So in other words, as I bring this to a close, as we live out the gospel, we will give along. We will get along. As we allow the gospel to shape our everyday lives, we're going to find less and less division that we're going to have to deal with. The reason for that is because Things like if I'm settled, for instance, I'm being accepted by the Father. I'm just settling that my peace and my identity is that Christ has saved me and I'm accepted by the Father. Then my world is not shattered when I'm rejected by someone else. Because my identity is in Christ, not in other people. See, that's the gospel shaping our lives. Our eyes focused on Christ and then we we don't have to worry so much about what other people think. If the gospel tells me to be anxious for nothing, then I can rest in God no matter what the headlines are that day, no matter what the balance of my bank account or the outcome of an election. Because the Bible says, and the gospel says, that I can be anxious for nothing. And so if I let the gospel transform me like that, then there's no, there's very little room for division. So should we work hard? Yeah, sure. Should we pray about those matters? Absolutely. Of course, you know, we're, as I heard someone once say, we, we take our most excellent work and desires and prayers and we put them in God's hands. But then the results are up to him. So the simple truth is this. The more the gospel shapes us, the fewer divisions we'll have in our church. Differences will always be there, but there's no need for divisions. It was February 17th, 1855, that a group of people in Verona, Wisconsin, gathered together, and formed a church. Memorial Baptist Church is what it's now known as. It wasn't known as that at the time. Name changed a few times over the years. They made a covenant together that day, and part of that covenant says this. It says, We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy, to be courteous in speech, slow to take offense, we will always be ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure reconciliation without delay. And 169 years later, we continue on. We continue on in tenaciously pursuing unity, keeping our eyes on Christ, and doggedly staying on mission here for the glory of God and Him alone.